There's more music in the world than we'll ever know. I'm Vic. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Ryan Book Podcast. Lyricism, telling a story through song. It's a calling card of the best artists, the ones who stand out from the pack. Whether the subject is love, self-examination, or politics, the four-piece Bay Area-based band I the Mighty is one of the torchbearers in this rite for modern rock music, and they bring an eclectic sound to back up the emotive pictures they paint. Their most recent album, Connector, shows the evolution of their still young sound, and the band members' broad interest promised to push them into still new territory once they finish touring with legends like Say Anything, Coheed and Cambria, and Glassjaw. The guys sat down with us before their show at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago to give context, talk lost ideas, and tell us about Connector. I definitely think it was, it was a new process writing um, a lot of the stuff in the studio. Uh, Satori, like Satori, the album before we had almost complete, like pretty much completely written, like note for note. Oh, yeah, yeah, every part of it. Every part yeah. of every instrument. Uh, connector, we we went in. We had a lot of like the skeletons, the body of the song there, and then like say we needed to write a second guitar line or a bass line or a drum like a lot of that was done in the studio. So I think like the next record, I could see us doing a little bit of a mix of the two. You know what I mean? Like coming in and like leaving some parts open ended, but having a little more of the the parts like finalized before we got there. Yeah. Um, as far as a couple of the lead lines went, I know, uh, like since they kind of came a little bit later, I would sit down and write a lead line and then go in and try to record it and then find out later because that they, they sort of clashed with the vocal line and we'd have to change it. So I mean, I think... Uh, I don't know. It was a, that was a little bit of a challenge, writing in that way in the in the studio. Like trying to write a lead line and then the maybe like the vocal line wasn't written yet, and then you'd find out later. Oh shoot, that doesn't really work because those particular notes don't work with the vocals or they clash or whatever. But with this new project, you know, you have a lot of like synths and drum machines. And Brent has kind of his like Drake rap moment in um, No Faith in Fate. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, me personally, uh, I'm definitely like, influenced by a whole lot of different types of music. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the solo album is kind of an example of that. That yeah. was like that was what that album was, was, just messing around with a bunch of different things. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to. I just wanted to try some new stuff, some new approaches vocally for Connector. Right. Some some more. I think mean, we all did, but we're just interested in exploring pop a little bit more. I know Blake wanted to explore a lot more like synthy type stuff for the record. I don't, I don't know, like specifically, just kind of like I love like eighties music in yeah. general. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I can like pinpoint like one specific artist. Well, Blake. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> You're listening to a lot yeah, of Enter Shikari. A lot of Shikari. I think I think it's like I I've always loved like eighties music and synth stuff and like getting more and like stuff too and like yeah. 
um, hearing it like used in like our contemporaries and how they use it now, and kind of like, it's like, all right, yeah, maybe we could, maybe there's a, a way we could incorporate some of that into our stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, like Brent was saying, the connection, like a lot of us wrote separately, like, and then we come together with our ideas and, and flush them out together. But like, Chris and I did a lot of writing together, and we did like we do a lot of programming just in this, you know, Ableton white program on the computer. And we brought it in to Mike Green, the producer, and, you know, we thought like, okay, well, he has all these plugins that'll like take these ideas and like give them real sound. But for most of them, like, he was like, yeah, like, it sounds fine. Like, there's no sense in changing. So it's literally stuff that we just program, like, in my living room that's on the record. And then there, of course, he was manipulating the sound. Yeah, we would exactly. take it. Processing like, a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, we had access to stuff we did. Seems like you. We wrote a lot, though, for Connector. Like, there are a lot of ideas we didn't use. That mm-hmm. we, I mean, we tracked a whole song that we. all That was almost on the record, and we didn't feel. Like we had a heavy enough song yeah. for the record, so yeah. we, we scrapped it and we, we wrote a drift like at the mm-hmm. apartment we were staying at, and then kind of the track that and swapped it out. So we still have. And box in the house, we wrote we wrote to try to like yeah, yeah. implement some heavier stuff on the record. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what the story aspect kind of brings me to the frame. Is that something you guys? had planned from the very beginning and because I know you went three two one with that mm-hmm. on your three albums, um or the EPM two albums. Um, so that's something you guys had planned out the whole time and knew how it was gonna go. Um, or is it something you kinda jump back to every time? We um, knew we wanted it to be three parts spread over three records. Mm-hmm. Um, the frame was actually a different story originally that uh, I started writing in high school. A completely different story called the frame was gonna be three parts story really? too. Um, and then I started writing this other one, and it was out to better, and it's the frame, the name of the frame still stuck with. So. Um, but actually, yeah, we wrote we wrote the end first, uh, and I knew what I wanted. I knew how I wanted it to end, and I knew the love story and the relationship that I wanted to be in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how I, how it all the actual frame. I hadn't figured out what was going to actually happen, um, and that actually to go along with what we were talking about earlier about the studio. That I finished the lyrics to that song the day that we were driving to track vocals for that song, which was I believe the last song that we tracked vocals for on the first record. So that was like, I mean I wrote lyrics for like seven I think of the songs in the studio, or basically outside out of studio, but like in between the studio hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah, that was the last thing that got written for the record. Uh, so the story kind of came together like very very last minute. I, I just there was so much storyline to fit into one song. I just took a while to figure out how to actually And in terms of story, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that uh, that's like the Quentin Tarantino telling the story backwards approach and mm-hmm. are there kind of structural things that you want to apply to what you're doing going forward, maybe literary devices or anything like that that you haven't been able to fold in yet? Um, I know I want to do more like trilogy stories for sure. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few rolling around for the next record, I'm not sure if I want to do like, like spread them off, cr- spread them across records again, or mm-hmm. if it'd be kind of cool to like end the next record with like a three-parter, like yeah. 
kind of like a Koei's done it a couple, like the Willing Well series. I think Koei, you know, Koei's done it a couple of times. But I thought that it might be kind of cool to condense it all into one album too, or maybe stretch something out, or you know, have a sequel to a song that we already put out that people don't realize is going to get too hard until we put it out. You left the room and all my senses left with you And now my body's just a place for blood If I could taste it, I'd be shaking my place Just at the thought of what chips taste Oh, you love to string me along And I know it, but resistance always lingers on my influences I think for the riffs on this album was in Rainbows and sort of that album. one song in particular yeah for yeah friends the the guitar parts and the verses of friends were definitely very radiohead inspired yeah I was just curious about your thoughts because that album was kind of in their wheelhouse still but it was like supposed to be this landmark moment for music when it first came out because it was the first one where the major band had put up like a name your price kind of yeah it was completely of, free yeah yeah they yeah. had like what seven million downloads of it in like a right. day or i don't know something ridiculous right yeah. so I, I absolutely wanted to know how much you paid for it if anything and uh and just i think i bought i think i physically bought the record oh yeah the record store yeah so i paid like full price for it <laughs> yeah same here. yeah but i, I like I got the stickers. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came with like a really cool booklet and stuff. Right. I don't know. I still, uh, I definitely buy albums less now because I actually did recently start paying for Spotify. Mm. Um, so I'm, you know, part of the problem, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but I still, I still buy records like the things that I love. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why I pre-ordered your guys one other than to get the shirt. But, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is kind of interesting to, to think about like how in that musical environment you guys go about uh, putting together your careers. I, was to say, I, I think we're just all just trying to put ourselves as musicians to start. Yeah. Um, and as songwriters primarily, probably. Mm -hmm. um, as far as like goals career-wise, you know, this, I mean, this tour, in itself is one of them, you know what I mean? Like, right. just, uh, just growing our band, doing more headlining tours and expanding those, and and uh, just grow like the snowball is rolling. <laughs> Getting overseas at some point would be... Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Well, we're doing that in May, so that would be... So there's all these like little goals that we're trying to hit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was sort of surprised to read when you were putting Connector together that uh, some of the parts were come up with while you know you were like catering or bartending or stuff like some things like that do you still have like those connections back home where you can go home and make a little money while you're there or how do you sort of fit the career into your you know life as a musician they're they're there but i haven't uh i haven't been doing anything other than music since uh september of last year yeah so that was um I, they're there if I, if I really need them right. they're there but uh i really wanted my goal for 2015 was to be doing nothing but music by the end of the year right uh and i'm there uh i do i, I do like a song shop 
thing, like kind of like Michael Maxine and stuff, people paying to write songs. So that that kind of like has replaced having an outside job. Um, and I'm gonna try to continue that. You know, I'm trying to. I'm tr if I if I'm ever really desperate, I can make some money other ways. But we're you know we're trying to. The more the more time you dedicate to music in whatever facet, the better you're gonna grow as a musician. So I think that's just kind of where. To see the music that was played on this episode, and for a few extra minutes, check out the rhymebook.net. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in. Make sure to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and AudioMac.